With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Real sports guys. Podcast. We got the big show in full effect. I am your host, Marcus the Game Changer, one third of the illustrious three man booth. And before we get into the proceedings this evening, allow allow me to say, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate your patronage. Now, we got a big, big announcement. This is our fifth year. We're starting our fifth year of doing this, uh, doing the podcast, um, being with iTunes. Uh, Resistance Digital, all of our sponsors, On the Rocks, Rockford, Illinois, Frederick Accounting, XL Academics, um, 
we're doing it big, and we've been doing it for a while. So uh, this is the first show of our fifth year. We're going to have a lot in store this year, um, and we're going to keep this thing going. We're in the thick of the NBA playoffs. Atlanta and Brooklyn, and Brooklyn are going toe-to-toe right now. Um, a lot going on. We've got the NFL draft this week on t- coming up on, uh, tomorrow. Um, we have May Floyd Mayweather uh, and Manny Pacquiao, finally. I think we were waiting on that when we first started this show. All right, but that's finally going to happen. Got the Kentucky Derby. Just a great sports week. So the real sports guys are going to walk you through. Uh, we have a special guest coming in tonight to hold us down for the next two hours. We're going to do a two-hour show. Um, before we get into that, let me bring in my right-hand man, D. Wills. Holla at the people. Man, um, I, I just thought about, you know, I remember sending you that text uh, when I was flying on my way to L.A., talking about this concept, and I remember hitting the ground and uh, checking my phone. I was walking through the uh, LAX and seeing you like, I'm all in. And uh, to know that all these years later, we still doing this, you know, um, in a way that we would be doing anyway. If we were on the air, like we were talking off the air, we would probably be texting back and forth on the phone. But we had this platform to do this. This, this has been uh, been a very special run. So, man, uh, really appreciate it. And I appreciate it that you um, – with someone who first stepped up and said, yeah, I believe in this. So it means a lot. Yeah, and, and, you know, you're the brain trust behind this whole situation, and you've kept us growing, you've kept us expanding, and, you know, that 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 to me that's what's important. You know, I'm going I'm to ride with you as always, uh, you know, and, 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 and for me to be able to talk my talk is, is great. I love that. And, and I want to say, you know, uh, if Phil's not with us tonight, but people don't know, I mean, he uh, was such a, a key player uh, in key transitions to really get us, you know, really some important guests. And, I mean, if people who really get to know this this man uh, and his dedication to kind of getting things right, I mean, he – that's why I call him the Dr. Dre. Uh, and, Phil, you, and uh, uh, Gay Chaser, you know that. You know, he, yeah. he, you know, he the kind of cat, well, he ain't going to release the album until it's ready. <laughs> and, you know, right. I think that's something that was good about us is that we each bring a unique quality to what we do that uh, has helped really to shape the show. We all we all have something, um, and uh, we would be remiss. Uh, I don't think people understand um, even putting our system together behind the scene to make sure we flow in and out uh, with guests and things that he's helped us think through. You know, he's not with us tonight. We're, we're definitely going to show next time we, we want to do that. But you, you and I know how – how much he helped to accelerate the pace uh, with the way he he's like gold. When he touched something, you know that's why I call him Dre. When you, when you, if you need some help, you go see him, and your album gonna be yep. hot. Hit you off with a million dollar track. Hit you off with a million dollar track. For sure. I, I got to make sure I see. Like, so we show like, love to our brother. We got a special guest. We got our yeah. special guest. That's who you hear chuckling in the background. That's our resident renegade bad boy NBA expert Justin Page. He's a little thrilled because his Hawks pulled out that victory against the Brooklyn Nets, who were giving them fits. But the Hawks <laughs> got it together and ah. pulled that game out. How you doing, Justin? It's been a while. Oh, man, I couldn't be better, fellas. Congratulations on five years. I'm, I'm glad to be a, 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 a part of the show. Glad to be involved. What you guys are doing is amazing. And uh, I gave up my game five tickets to be here with you all tonight. All the fans out there, you know, game changer, the, the, all your, all you guys, man. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Hawks just got a got a much needed victory with our backs against the wall, and 
I'm ready for a good show, man. Here's the five more years. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. And we're glad to have you in the fold, man. And again, for us, this is this is a, uh, an opportunity that D. Wills presented to me to give me a chance to talk my talk over the airwaves. And we extended that opportunity to you. And you've been a great addition. Um, you know, you always bring a live energy, great insight, um, lots of wisdom to the show. And we greatly appreciate you being a part of the team. And we're going to have a slamming show tonight, man. We're going to have a real slamming show. So I'm going to go ahead and get us going. Go ahead and tip the ball off. This portion of the show is called the intro to let them know. This is where we give you a quick rundown of everything we have in store for you all tonight. All right, we got a two-hour show, 120 minutes of straight butter. All right, we're going to start off with the funky editorial, NFL Draft Edition. We got some hot questions and some hot topics around the draft that we're going to get into, get the real sports guys' opinion. Draft first rounds tomorrow night. It's a big deal. It's always a big show. NFL is king. So we're going to get into that. Then we're going to hit you off with the Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Resistance Digital is the prime sponsor of the Real Sports Guys. I'm at LR. He helps us keep the lights on in the house. Uh, so we're going to give you the Dog of the Week. That's where we nominate one particular athlete, individual, human being who has their dog meter all the way up to the top. Then we're going to talk boxing. Mayweather Pacquiao is finally going to happen. It's going to happen this Saturday in Las Vegas. Uh, we're going to get into talking about that, give you some insight and some opinion, an opinion on the Mayweather-Pacquiao bout that will be coming up. Um, then we're going to isolate Justin, um, put him out on the wing, and let him do his thing. Uh, he's going to hit us off with his NBA 2015 observations and awards. So Justin, he's our resident NBA expert. He's going to lay out his observations from the 2015 season and also give us his end-of-the-season awards, MVP, rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, coach of the year, plus many more. So be looking out for that. And then we're going to get into the first two weeks of the playoffs. We're going to break it down, RSG style. I'll hit you off with the XL Academics last word, and then we'll put a pretty little bow on this show, wrap it up, send it to iTunes, and you can get it in the morning. You hear me? All right. So you're listening to The Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio, all guests and hosts appear via the Frederick Accounting Gateway, Frederick Accounting, the official accountant of RSG. Make sure when you hit them up, you tell them the real sports guys sent you. Now, we got to get this thing rolling. We got a funky editorial on deck and in store. We're going to get into the NFL draft, but always we got to start this thing off right. When we when we do a funky editorial, we got some great sound for you, so we got to lay that sound down like we always do about this time. Fellas, the one thing we need to say, shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan. Set. Everybody wanna get funky one more time. This edition of the Funky Editorial is brought to you by On the Rocks, Rockford, Illinois. Hit up my man Craig Stockwell. Great food, great people, great music. On the Rocks, Rockford, Illinois. All right, fellas. NFL Draft is tomorrow night. First round, round one. Question number one of our funky editorial NFL draft edition. I am going to start with my man D. Wills. Match up a prospect with a team on which you think they would have the biggest impact next season. So if you could just perfectly take one guy from the draft and match him up with the perfect team, who would you take and who would you? What team would you put him on? Wow, this is uh. So um, I had two, but as you say, I can only pick one. And so what I'm going to do is, and this will, uh, and, and I'm doing this in the honor of having Justin with us tonight. 
Um, I think the uh, the idea of having um, uh, Beasley, who's a linebacker, um, going to Atlanta is, to me, uh, very important, um, considering that, um, you know, Atlanta has been this team that everybody is had expected they would go to the next level, that they were on the rise to make that run to the Super Bowl. And when I watched them, in, in my mind, what they've lacked is really a championship defense and really a rush, ability to put pressure uh, on people. And I think having a good edge rusher, having somebody who can really cause problems for them, uh, for uh, the opposing teams and get turnovers um, and get possessions, uh, particularly with the change in their regime and, and having um, uh, Richard Smith take over as the defensive coordinator for them um, to kind of bring in kind of what they did with Von Miller in Denver um, I, I see the, the upgrade on defense being very important to them in a division where they had a history of this teams flipping. So, you know, Atlanta had a very disappointing year last year. They would have the ability to then turn around. They got the offensive pieces, but I think they need to really upgrade and have that championship level defense. And so I think that would be someone that could make a difference right away because it, you don't need a lot to do that kind of, you know, as Von Miller did. When you're that kind of great rusher, you can come as a rookie and cause problems. Yeah, and that whole division had some issues last year. It was classified boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a good year for the NFC South. Not a good year for the NFC South. Justin, what do you think of that? How you say, how you feel about the fit of Vic Beasley coming to your line of South? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I was at that final game, Falcons-Panthers. It was a play-in to get into the playoffs, which was essentially a playoff game. And at halftime, the building was silent. We were down double digits, and I was livid with the effort that I saw from my hometown Atlanta Falcons. So anybody who we we get an eight, anybody who can have an impact on our squad, I like – um, Beasley, I do like, uh, which is a good call. But my inside sources have uh, uh, the kid from Kentucky, Bud Dupree, on a defensive line mm-hmm. going to Kentucky. Uh, us getting Dan Quinn from the Seattle Seahawks in the off season, I feel was was a very uh, well calculated move by management and Arthur Blank, the great owner that he is. And I think that if they believe in Bud Dupree at the number eight spot. And, and you know, this guy came out of Kentucky, and he's kind of, you know, like a, like a modern-day Adamican Sioux without the attitude problems. I, I think that, that Bud Dupree as a defensive lineman that can create that pass rush for us is going to force quarterbacks into throwing uh, less profitable passes, and that's going to create the turnovers. So I like Bud Dupree, but I'll take Beasley as well. Uh, uh, but I also got some other uh, needs for the Falcons, but I, I definitely like uh, uh, Beasley or Dupree at the number eight spot uh, for my Atlanta Falcons. Okay. Okay. Now, you did your homework. Who do you got matched up and which team? Who you got, the, the impact player, and then which team you matched and which to maximize that impact? Well, I feel like he just told, stole my thunder because I, uh, uh, I was going Falcons, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it's highly unlikely, and it, 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 it's, it's essentially not going to happen, but my dream pick would be Armari Cooper out of Alabama. Uh, uh, mm. most, people, most people's big boards have him as the best receiver in the draft and have him going top five. But if for any reason 
he doesn't go top five and he slips to us at eight. I like the fact that Julio, his Alabama running mate, can, can uh, mentor him through what it's like to be a professional. I, I, I like the two Alabama boys on the two outsides that we can then reduce Roddy White's, uh, Roddy White's workload and make him a, a, a slot guy or a number, a number three, three option for us. Um, and I also like Todd Gurley. I know running backs are getting a, a, a bad rap in the NFL nowadays, and none of them have gone in the first round in, in forever. But uh, once Todd Gurley is healthy, he would be a great one-two punch with uh, our Florida State running back, uh, Devontae Freeman. So I know I'm all over the place. I like Amari Cooper. Don't think it can happen. I like Todd Gurley which I think it would be a jump to get him at eight, but I think it, it'll, it'll pay off dividends in the long run. But my, my, my gut feeling tells me Bud Dupree, defensive lineman from Kentucky, is going to be who the Falcons get, and I think it's going to catapult the Falcons to the number one spot in, the, uh, in, in that division. Okay, okay. I'm not and being I, a homer I, I here like either. I really believe that. Yeah, but I, I like your analysis, though. You know, Amari Cooper, you know, at eight, you know, it seems like he may not drop that low, but you never know with the draft. You never know how things will shake out, especially given that trades could be made, um, teams could move up. Um, there's a lot of talk of teams moving up to kind of chase after Mariota. Um, so there's a lot of things in play in this particular draft. Um, you know, running back is – Trent Richardson kind of messed it up for everybody. <laughs> yes, he you did. Know I mean? You know, he was taking, what, top five, like the number three pick in 2012. Um, in the first round, and just has not worked out at all. And I think that's really gotten – because he was supposed to be a surefire prospect. And that has really scared teams off from uh, taking running backs that high. Um, I know Phil T is probably listening somewhere, getting ready to download the podcast in the morning. Your Browns. It was your Browns who took him, who took him third. Um, so, you know, the guy I'm looking at, when I look at the draft board – the guy I'm looking at who I think could go someplace, and this is a bit of a homer call as well, uh, but Melvin Gordon, obviously, going to the Arizona Cardinals, um, a team that was um, a playoff team last year, a very good squad, very competitive, 10 to 11 wins last year, um, just missing that workhorse running back to really balance that offense out. Um, Carson Palmer is a good quarterback, but he's injury prone. He's up there in age, and you don't want him dropping back, throwing the ball 50 times a game. Um you want to be able to utilize your backs. Gordon's versatile. Um, he's starting to show that he, he, he's trying to work to show that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. We know what he can do running. He doesn't have a lot of miles on his, on, on, a lot of tread on his tires because he spent his first two two years at Wisconsin splitting carries with other great running backs. Um, so that's a guy I think he could come in and really change uh, a good team into a great team um, in, in a very similar way that DeMarco Murray, him being healthy and being able to play a full season behind a good offensive line, took Dallas from being an okay squad to a very good squad last year. Um, And that's what a running game can do when you have a solid quarterback. Now, a lot of that's dependent upon Carson Palmer's health and him staying healthy. Um, But, again, that defense, the receiving core that they have, adding a nice piece at running back to go with Andre Ellington and be a compliment to Andre Ellington, who's more of a scat back guy coming out of the backfield, third down type, um, giving somebody that can carry the load on down one and down two um, and eventually develop into a, a, a true three-down back, Melvin Gordon is the guy, I think, could, who, who could do that for the Arizona Cardinals who will be drafting later in the first round around the 20s. 
So he's a player that might be available in that particular range for them. So, so that's question one, fellas. Well done. Well done, everyone. Well done. Everybody did their homework. All right? Now, question number two. Which teams have the most to gain from this year's draft? I'm going to start with you, Justin, special guest. Uh, which Absolutely. Teams have one glad, of two teams? glad to kick this one off because I'm going to uh, defer. I know if I answer this question on uh, Dan Limbatar, it's highly questionable. They talk me off the show, but every team gains from the draft. Okay, every team. Good teams get you really depth. Did, man. Listen to me now. Listen to me. Good teams get right. depth, and they plan for the future. Look at what the Patriots done in the last couple of years. All these good teams, all they're doing is acquiring talent for the future because they're already good. And these bad teams, who's at the top? Tampa Bay, uh, uh, Oakland, teams that are historically bad. They need a star. Okay. So everybody benefits from the draft, and what I'll tell you is the best front office is going to be the one that benefits most. But I can't tell you who that is until I see the actual production from this rookie class. Again, I don't think Tampa Bay or Tennessee is going to benefit most because I think they're going to both take jump way too high and take Winston and Mariota, and I don't believe in either. I know that that's uh, rather contrarian nowadays, but I will tell you that neither one are going to to be top ten quarterbacks in the next five years. Okay, mm. I, I promise mm. you that. And I think mm. that those teams are going to bust. And I think that in most people's mock drafts, Amari Cooper is going to Oakland. If Oakland finds a way to get a a quarterback to throw him the football, they are going to be the ones to benefit most. But I I can't count on Oakland. Therefore, I have to I have to uh, defer and say every team's going to benefit from the draft, whether it be good or bad. Okay, all right, D. Wills, I'll accept that answer, Justin. D. Wills, give me your answer. Well, um, the the team that um, that uh, I think will uh, benefit most from the, of this draft is the team I just talked about. Um, is the, the the Falcons if they can get that right player uh, at eight. You know, they're a team that's not that far away. In in a division that is still in somewhat of turmoil, you know, nobody's real set up for a lot of different reasons. And I think they have the ability to come out of there um, as well. I think the other teams are teams like, uh, I believe, like the Patriots in Baltimore. I think some of these teams have like six picks in the top 100, 150. I mean, when you're, when you're great franchises like that, where you have six p- picks in the top, Hundred or hundred fifty, you know, you're you're gonna in the way that they know how to pick. So you're giving Ozzie Newsome those kind of picks, and if you look at his record in terms of what he's done, um, uh, those are the teams because you know these are GM drafts. Everybody, the, the smoke and mirrors are, you know, what's happened with Mariota and um, uh, 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 what's happened at the top of the draft. But there's a lot of depth, a lot of quality in this draft, and. Good GMs and good office uh, and, and, and good front offices are going to do well. So when you give like the Patriots and you give Baltimore and teams like that that many picks in the first two three rounds, you know they're going to hit. Particularly Baltimore is going to hit on a number of those. They just got a record of hitting on those. Yeah, and that was the team that I picked as well, um, Baltimore. Um, again, six picks in the top one hundred. A team that is in a state of flux, right? They're transitioning. Um, a lot of the guys who we know as the core are aging out. 
Um, they're getting up there in years, and they have to replenish the uh, – and, and they've lost some of the guys who that, – that second wave that was behind those guys because those guys became free agents, and some of the old guys still playing well. So they hang on, held on a little bit longer, um, and they were able to get them a reasonable price. But Ozzy's a great GM. Um, they continue to reload. Um, they unfortunately lost Ray Rice last year um, to some unfortunate incidents. And so now they're looking to, to find some playmakers offensively to restock that team, rebuild through the middle. And I think they have the picks to do it. And that's a team that, you know, could quickly, quickly um, put themselves in position to uh, be back in the thick of things as far as being a Super Bowl contender. Um, so uh, I like the Ravens as a team that uh, has the potential to really benefit from this year's draft. And Ozzy has a track record of, of being very, selecting very well um, and finding guys who fit their system, who fit the style of play that they have. Um, and then Harbaugh has an even better track record of figuring out how to utilize those guys and, and get something out of them those first couple of years while they're on the team. Um, that does it for question two. Question number three. What is the thing you look forward to most about the draft? We all have those little quirky things that we like. You know, we like to sit down and watch the draft. Um, what's the thing that you look forward to most, whether it be something in the announcers or the the outfits? It could be anything, you know. I'll start with you, D. Will. What's the thing you look forward most, you look forward to most with the draft? Um. So one is 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 watching them watching them when nothing was best. The best reaction was when uh, Dallas picked Fredericks uh, from Wisconsin in the first round, and people almost lost their minds. When you look back on it, he's he's produced like that pick that he got drafted. Um, so watching the reaction because they spent so much time posturing and building up and making cases, and then these teams um, make the decisions. And also, that I like to get a sense of whether or not a team is teams get into these ruts, these these kind of um, modes where they you can tell they're drafting on need versus the the best talent. That's the theory, right? And to see which one wins out, right? So you know, you know, Oakland is always like if you run a four-one, it's like the Raiders gonna get you. But <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, you're a Raider prospect. But to really get, yeah, to get, you're fast. Yeah, and so when you when when Ozzie Newsom drafts, like there's something he know, right? So is he drafting for the best talent available, or is he drafting for need? And how is he doing it? And then how is how other people reacting to that? Uh, I love that, especially when somebody takes someone you know, somebody two rows below once or two picks below once, and now they got to scramble. That's the kind of stuff. I like to watch that chess match um, that goes on there. And then I also really pay attention to who, who gets picks in three, four, and five in those rounds because historically there's been some great players who come out at three, four, and five round. And I'm always interested, you know, you know who those great teams are, Seattle and, and Baltimore and some of these places. Like, and when they pick somebody, they know something, Right. And I, I like to see who's going, who gets picked in that third, fourth, and fifth round. Okay, okay. Uh, Justin, what is what, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Well, before I answer, I have to give D. Will some credit here. He he took my shine only because he's been talking all Falcons, and I love it. I, I tried my best not to be a homer, so I, I tried to deflect and not go Atlanta everything. But thank you, D. Wills, for for. Hey. for 
recognizing how close we are in this in this good old NFC South. Uh, uh, but my que- my answer to this question is a little bit uh, different um, because I feel like ESPN and other media giants overhyped the draft, and we put an emphasis on these young kids who have yet to prove anything on a professional level. So I really think that I just want it to be over so we can focus on what April and May should be about, which is the NBA playoffs. And let's talk about these kids when they're actual professionals and they're out there on the field and they're doing their jobs. So while while I'm a fan of, of the draft and everybody's story, you know, uh, uh, I feel like the draft wasn't this big 10 years ago, and I feel like the media giants of the world made it so big. And let's let these kids just live. Let's let them enjoy their experience. You know, let's let them grow. Let's let them become the players and the young men that they want to be as opposed to putting these high expectations on them on draft day. That's what I look forward to most. Okay. Justin, I think okay. you- Justin hit on. I want to say this, Justin. You hit on a really good point around that because the part that I'm just for this flabbergasted about how this stuff is like we've lost the um, power of understanding what it means to be a developmental approach. The draft was not like you said. The draft was about not what you are now. It's about what we could do to get you to where you want to be. And there's no uh, there's one place where I've, I have seen them miss on this all the time. It's about quarterbacks. I think we probably ruined five to six quarterbacks a draft because of this microwave approach we got with them. You know, that, that, that we don't think about what they can become and, and how to develop them. And so we've created, and part of that is this media and overhyping what they're doing in shorts and, and who out thinks to room um, about things without thinking that, you know, people have to grow into these roles. Right. And so I appreciate that. I think that, and I, I like to watch the teams who you can tell understand that. You know, that's why teams like Baltimore win, because they understand that, right? They understand that it's not about what you are now, it's what you're going to be. And a lot of other teams get caught up with what they think you need to be now. Like, so who who in these drafts has um, – they, they don't have antennas. Like, you can tell the teams who don't have antennas. Like, their fans could be booing, they could do whatever, you know, Ozzie Newsom doesn't have antennas. <laughs> he don't care. You can say whatever you want to say. All he'll say is check the record. And too many of these teams get caught up in the moment where we evaluate these players. And I think the quarterback spot is one place that's been ruined because we have not allowed for these kids to even develop. Couldn't agree, I agree. more. I, I agree on both counts. Uh, you know, I think Justin, there's a much to do about nothing with the draft. Um and I, that that gets to my point. That's probably my favorite piece of the draft. Usually with the draft, I'll check in from time to time. I don't. I never. I haven't watched the entire draft, an entire round, since I was maybe like twelve, right? <laughs> since then, it's kind of like okay, I get it. So I'll check in and see who got picked where. Turn the channel, go do something else. Take go about my day, go about my evening, watch some basketball, some playoff basketball, um, and then check back in. You know, an hour or two later, see how things progress. Um, but what is most interesting to me about the draft is every pick is a home run, right? <laughs> I mean, pretty much every guy is going to be the second coming of somebody um, until they start actually playing. And then you see who the players are and who who the players aren't. 
but the optimism that comes with the draft and how, you know, they pick a guy in the third round and they're talking about his speed and his versatility and all the things he can do, and and then you never hear from him again. Um, that's always funny to me because they pump them up as if they're going to be just these amazing guys, and then, again, you never hear from them again. <laughs> you know, when they actually put on pads and start playing, do the duds. Um, so that piece what I love is – yeah, the the part I want to jump in and I love about it, and this you, you appreciate it because I think you're gonna build on this comment, is even more than the draft is the draft grade, and the reason why I say yes. this is, is that we we had a fantasy draft and now Yahoo, you know everybody's trying to do this so they got a grade. I remember James Changer getting his grade on his draft, and you know and you perform much higher than your grade, right? So this oh, whole grading saying, system, my grade was like a, a, a D. They gave me a D. <laughs> You know, and my response was Yahoo's Yahoo's grading system is culturally biased, <laughs> like the SAT test. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> called the NFL. Call Yahoo draft the, the uh, SAT test. That's funny. You know what I'm saying? It's culturally biased, man. Come on. You know what I mean? How I get a D on a fantasy football draft? And so, you know, then they did, like, a little projection of my fantasy team, man. They had me picked last. I wasn't supposed to win any game. I think I won, like – I think I came in, like, second. You know what I mean? I think I came in second or third in the league. I did lose in the playoffs. But I was one of the better teams all season. But yet Yahoo gave me a D. And that was my motivation. Like, nah, I a D? <laughs> You know, I'm like radio hey, let's do this. You know what I'm let's do this. I'm like because I've already slandered this company once on this show, but it's not just Yahoo. ESPN's the exact same. Yeah. I won a championship <laughs> with Michael Vick and Deshaun Jackson, and I got an F on my fantasy draft, and I won a championship. So ESPN doesn't know what they're talking about. Yahoo doesn't know what they're talking about. I go with the real sports guys. I test over any other major media company anywhere. That's, That's the movement. I test over everything. That's the now movement. we are talking fantasy. I test over everything. <laughs> uh, when, yeah, when, when you when you when you giving Ozzy Newsom a C plus, I know your system is faulty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. And, and, and again, you don't really know what these guys are going to be. And that's where we're going to take this next, right? We're going to go back and look at because you don't know what guys are until about four years out. It's about four years in the league. Then you can look at a draft class and say, okay, this guy's produced. This guy was a bust. This guy's a bust. That was a bad pick. That was a bad pick, right? Now it's time to do that. So we're going to rewind. We're going to jump in the hot tub time machine. We're going to go back to 2011 and look at the 2011 draft. Now we got some questions I'm going to throw at Justin and D. Wills. But before we do that, I'm going to run down the top ten picks in this particular draft, right? And, and this is actually shaping up to be a pretty effective draft. This is a pretty good draft. When you hear these top seven picks, you're going to be like, whoa, there's some studs in this group, right? Pick number one, Carolina Panthers took Cameron Newton. Number two, the Denver Broncos took Von Miller. Number three, the Buffalo Bills selected Marcel Darius, defensive end from Alabama. Number four, the Cincinnati Bengals selected wide receiver A.J. Green from Georgia. Number five, the Arizona Cardinals took Patrick Patterson, cornerback from LSU. At number six, the Atlanta Falcons traded up and selected Julio Jones, wide receiver from Alabama. And then at number seven, the San Francisco 49ers selected Alden Smith, linebacker from Missouri. 
Now, that's just the top seven picks. All of those guys are pro bowlers. All of those guys have been pro bowlers. All top seven picks. Now, I don't know how rare that is. I'd have to do some research and, and start to dig a little deeper. But that's that's pretty solid given that most of those guys are going into their fourth year. Um, so that, that's pretty solid. Uh, number eight, Tennessee takes Jake Locker. I think he retired this year. Um, <laughs> I'm dead serious. I think he retired, right? I think this offseason he retired. Yeah. And then the Dallas Cowboys at number nine select Tyron Smith, offensive tackle, USC, again, pro bowl player. And then at number 10, Blaine Gabbard, quarterback, Missouri. So the misses, the misses, D. Wills, quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. So those are the top ten picks. Number eleven, JJ Watt. You know, JJ Watt. So you know that worked out for Houston. So this is a pretty loaded draft. Um, So I have some. I have some questions. We we evaluated the draft and went back, looked at it, looked at it, and we're gonna give it our go. Give it uh, running through the RSG four year review. All right. So. We'll start out with Justin, best player from the class of 2011. Ouch. I knew that you were going to start with me. I knew that you were going to start with me, and I still don't have an answer. And here's why. Right? I love Cam Newton. Right? Injury plagued this year. A.J. Green, phenomenal talent. Arguably a top five wide receiver in the NFL today. Turf toe. Killed his whole season this year. Traded for him in the third week of the season. Thought I, I gave a guy in, in fantasy football a sucker deal, and ended up I was a sucker until I turned around and traded AJ, AJ Green to somebody else. Uh, <laughs> Julio Jones. I've drafted him in, in 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 the second round every year since he's been in the league in fantasy, and ended up getting him in the first round this year because he's my guy and I'm sticking with him. So the talent is there. Cam Newton, A.J. Green, Julio Jones. Obviously, you mentioned J.J. Watt at 11, whom I love. But I have to I – uh, I can't not make a firm commitment two questions in a row. So I'm going to go with Patrick Patterson from the Arizona Cardinals. He's been the most consistent. He's contributed to turning that franchise around. They only had, let's be honest, Larry Fitzgerald in the past. Other than that, they've had literally nobody. When they went out and got Carson Palmer and had somebody throw it to Larry Fitzgerald, that defense between Honey Badger and Patrick Patterson turned into one of the best shutdown corner tandems in the league, and I blame Patrick Patterson for that. So, based on the top 11 picks, I'm going to take Patrick uh, Patterson uh, from the Arizona Cardinals with J.J. Watt at a close second. And uh, Julio, AJ, and Cam fighting for that three, four, five spot only due to injury. They could be higher, but you know, if you can't, if you can't be on the field, you can't play. You know, you can't Absolutely. play. You can't, Absolutely, you can't be on the top of the list. Yeah, and, and again, uh, to speak to how loaded this draft is, you got JJ Watt at eleven. You got Robert Quinn. I think he led the league in sacks last year. Um, or one of these for one of his first three years, he led the league in sacks. You got Mike Pounce. You got Ryan Kerrigan. Um, you got Cameron Jordan, Mark Ingram, all pro bowlers, Andy Dalton, pro bowler, Randall Cobb, Kyle Rudolph, uh, DeMarco Murray, Justin Houston. You got a lot of guys in this draft who hit the pro bowl already 
and we're just in, we're just in year four, right? We're just in year four for these guys. So really talented group, really talented group, and I can understand why it would be difficult to pick the best player. D. Wills, your turn. Best player from 2011. It's easy for me, J.J. Watt, three-time Pro Bowler, uh, three-time first-team All-Pro Bowl, Burt Bell Award winner, 2014. He's a, a, a two-time uh, NFL player, of the, a defensive player of the year. Um, he's AFC defensive player of the year. He's sack leader in 2012, runner-up MVP, doing all this. Uh, first team's a player with multiple 20-plus sack seasons. Um, Pro Bowl defensive MVP. Um, to me, he – and he's – He's the one player in this draft that has um, uh, developed, outside of his play, developed a brand that surpasses even football. Like his, he's recognized even beyond the game as a player. So me, it's mm. JJ Watt in, in, in a mm. in a in a group that is very good. I mean, all the stuff that I think that Justin said. Um, I mean, this, he scores touchdowns. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's healthy. I mean. You know, if you if, I got if you if you put your, if you put your money down on what you maxed out on in that draft, JJ Watt is giving you everything he needed to give you, and he gave it to you at eleven. He gave you number one pick output, Hall of Fame output, and he did it at eleven with all mm, that talent ahead okay. of him. Who all that talent ahead of right. him? Who's still good? Right, just as Justin yeah. said. Game changer, yeah. game changer. Can I chime in real quick? Yep. I, D. Wills, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I toyed with that answer as well. But my only issue with J.J. Watt, how, how great he is, I almost look at him like a Ray John Rondo. Like, pardon my French, but he's like a stat whore. Like, does he translate <laughs> to wins? Like, no, 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 seriously. Does he translate to wins? What is What have the Texans done since they got him? Did they make the playoffs this year? Like, while he's great with individual stats, he gets the sacks. He gets what well, other defensive player goes on offense to catch touchdowns? That's like Ray John Rondo losing a game just to get a triple double. Like but you, to but, me, but you, but, yeah. But what I would say is he he did that with losing his top little linebacker at least two seasons since he's been there. He's done that with a with a with a, with a Pro Bowl level running back who hasn't been healthy. They had. They had a quarterback who was there and hadn't been healthy. They were playing at some point with a third-string quarterback. He was holding them together. So he was winning games. He was winning games in a scenario where a defensive player couldn't even have done as much as he's done, given – and he had a Pro Bowl wide receiver who has not real in Johnson who hasn't realized his potential. So given all that, his teams have always still been in the playoff hunt or been in the playoffs, and that has a lot to do with – what he's been able to do. He's scoring touchdowns on defense. So so I would say he's had a big impact given when you look at the office of players who haven't delivered consistently on his team. Well, Fair enough. I got the trump card. I got the trump card. All right? I got the trump card. I actually am going to tell you guys who the best player in this class is, and I can't believe you guys slept on this. I can't believe you guys slept on this. Richard Sherman. I can't put Sherman over Watt. And I love Sherman. No, no, I no. I'm gonna, no, no, no. I'm going to use your criteria. Where, where, yeah. Brand? Yeah, you yeah. want to talk about brand? Yeah, yeah. You want to talk yeah, about brand outside the game? Sherman wins. He was wins. on my list. Sherman wins. All right. 
two times, uh, well, not two times, two times Super Bowl appearance, right? So we got the wins that Justin's talking about. It equates. His presence equates, right? So he's got he's got he, Super Bowl champion, right? Two-time Pro Bowler, three-time, three-time first-team All-Pro. Three-time first-team All-Pro. NFC Defensive Player of the Year 2014. 2013 led the NFL interceptions. Again, brand is as big as a football player can get, potentially. I mean, arguably, there's Aaron Rodgers, Richard Sherman, Peyton Manning, J.J. Watt. No other football players that are more recognizable than those four guys. And he's in that category well, as a defensive back. You'll find, you find out soon why I, did, I don't have him in there because of the other question you had. You'll find out soon. Can I, have a, can I ask a question? Is That's Richard true. Sherman the best defensive player on his own team? Yes. Ooh. What? The coach won't even say that. The coach might give it to the safety over there. What, uh, what's his name? Cam, uh, see, what's his name? What, did you just say what's his name? That was <laughs> you know who I'm talking about point now. <laughs> point prove it. Point prove it. What's his name? <laughs> I'm saying though, what's his name? <laughs> you're front of, oh boy! You're in front of the just just because you're in front of the mic, but people will say Chancellor. Yes, Cam Chancellor. That's exactly who I'm referring to. As Cam Chancellor, the defensive player of the year. That, he doesn't run his mouth like Richard Sherman. That was he doesn't run his mouth. Running his mouth though. That was before Richard was running his mouth. Richard I'm always been running his mouth since Stanford. <laughs> Even with that, I still now, put JJ. I give you that, but if you need a shutdown uh, secondary defender, you're going to take Patrick Patterson from Arizona over Richard Sherman. You saying brand it's, this, it's, brand it's, that? He's, he's got a brand because that, he talks a lot. Debate that. We could debate that. I think they had this. I think they actually had this debate over Twitter. <laughs> I think they've actually gone back and forth on Twitter about who's the best corner. Um, Patrick Patterson and and um, and Richard Sherman. It's an interesting debate. It's an interesting debate. But that's the guy. I'll I'm give you Sherman based Sherman. on value because he was drafted much later. However, it, pure talent wise, you got to go, uh, my man Patrick. I'm sorry, mm. can't okay. give you that one game. Okay, but there was a heck of a call. Heck of a call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went there. I went there. I pulled that one out. Like I said, I did my research. I dug deep. Um, next question, worst top ten pick. So out of the top ten, I'll run them down real quick. Who is the worst? Give me a you moment. You don't have to run it. I can give you. you don't have to run it. You already yeah, said. yeah, the top ten. I'll, I'll give you the names, though, just in case. you got Cam Newton, Von Miller, Marcel Darius, A.J. Green, Patrick Patterson, Julio Jones, Alden Smith, Jake Locker, Tyron Smith, and Blaine Gabbard. I think this is really just a two horse race. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, will. Go ahead. I want with Blaine Galbert, and this is why I would take Blaine even over Jake. Um, Blaine was just a shipwreck weight to have. I mean, to the point where they replaced him with a quarterback from Miami when Miami's ship was going down, my former Michigan quarterback that came up there. He just – he never even got off the ground. Versus Locker had some good uh, experiences, showed you a little bit. He just couldn't stay healthy. But 
Galbert didn't look like he even got off the off the runway. Um, and coming out the way people were hyping him, I mean, you look at the notes with Mel Kiper and all them was talking about this cat. Mm-mm. For me, he and it said Jacksonville back farther than I think it said Tennessee back. Yeah, and I and I think you know, and I'm looking at the Titans, and to me, there are certain franchises that should never draft a quarterback in the first round because they just mess it up. They always get it wrong. <laughs> Outside of Steve McNair, Tennessee always gets it wrong when they draft a quarterback in the first round. You know what I mean? Anytime they draft a quarterback in the first round, they always get it wrong. They should just stop. They should stop themselves. They should create a franchise rule. We will not draft quarterbacks in the first round. We ruined them. <laughs> Jacksonville's the same way. There's a reason yep. you're still looking for your franchise quarterback because you can't draft them. You suck at pick, at evaluating quarterbacks. Stop wasting your first round picks on quarterbacks. <laughs> Justin, who's the worst? Who's your nomination for worst pick? 2011 I, top ten. I'll make it short and sweet. Can't can't agree with you guys more. Blake Gabbert. Blake Gabbert. All right. He, he's he's a bad he's a bad player. He, he's a, yeah. I'm going Gabbert too. So I, he's, I'll, he's I'll arguably Gabbert. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need to say anything more. Yeah, I'm I'm going quick to Gabbert. Um but again I, I really believe that I think certain franchises should just ban themselves. Like, you know, how the NCAA makes you do a self imposed uh tournament ban, you ban yourself from the tournament. They should just ban themselves from drafting quarterbacks. The 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 uh Vikings, um the Buffalo Bills, um, the Jets, you know what I'm saying? Just don't don't do it. Just don't do it. I don't care. Tennessee trade that pick. Don't draft Mariota. Trade the pick. You <laughs> notice the New York Jets want to grab that pick from Tennessee and take Mariota, which I think is going to be another horrible Geno Smith part two. <laughs> exactly. Let them do it. Get the extra picks. Let them do it. <laughs> Let a fool be a fool. You know what I mean? Let <laughs> Tennessee make that trade. Make that trade. I'm just saying, man. I'm just saying. All right, best value pick, 2011 draft. Uh, let's start with you, Justin. Best value pick, number six, gotta go Julio. They, they. Mm. If you look at what they, the even if they, they gave up, what did they, they who, gave up who a did lot the, to get it? Who did the what, the picks that they traded? What did those result to? Because I will tell you this. I don't even remember. Mark exactly. Leo Jones is going to be the single best wide receiver in the NFL next year. If it wasn't for a foot injury two years ago when that screw came out from from his surgery in Alabama, he would have been the best receiver last year. He broke the franchise record for receiving yards this year. Julio Jones is a top five receiver and is going to be the best receiver in the league next year, and they gave up peanuts to get him. Everybody places such a high value on draft picks, but so many of these top draft picks are bust, and they did what they had to do to get the player that they wanted, and Julio Jones is the best value in this draft. Mark my words. Okay, okay. D. Wills, agree, disagree, you're going a different direction? How do you feel oh, about easy. that? Best value easy. pick. It's easy. Sherman, it, fifth okay. round draft pick, you get all the stuff you just said. And you got that in the fifth round? Sherman is easy the best value in this draft. Who gets a okay. fifth-round person that produced the way he produced? 
New England hey, got Tom I, I Brady in the second round back in the day. Yeah. I picked him as my number one. I picked him as my top player, so I, I obviously can agree with that. Since you took Richard Sherman, I, want, I don't want to go Sherman again. I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to go, and this is an undervalued position, but I think we saw the value of it and the impact of it on this particular team when you put the right pieces in place, and that's DeMarco Murray, third-round pick, pick number 71 in this draft. Yeah. Again, this draft is loaded. You know, I, I looked at DeMarco Murray. I could have went Julius Thomas in the fourth round, tight end. You know what I mean? When you talk about value in this draft, um, I went, I'm going DeMarco Murray, um, you know, running back, undervalued position. Um, as far as individual player, as a committee, running back is very important, but as an individual, um, undervalued position. Um, but you saw the impact of the season he had on the Dallas Cowboys. They actually looked at like a good team for the first time in about five years. <laughs> they looked like a team that could actually make some noise. Now, they did not make any noise, but they looked like a team who could because they had a dominant running game. Um, you know, I also considered Randall Cobb into the second round, pick 64, um, as another potential high-value pick. So this is, a, again, this is a really good draft. And it, I don't think it's talked about enough as how, as how good this draft is. Kaepernick was in this draft. There are a lot of quality players in this draft. Um, and he's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good draft. It's a good draft. We'll go on to the next question. Uh, team with the best draft grade. Who are you giving the best draft grade for 2011, fellas? Now is the appropriate time to actually grade the draft, all you draft Knicks out there. This is the time you want to grade a draft is four years later where you can see who actually turned out to be a decent player. And who was developed? Who the teams developed? Who the teams? Who are teams still using? Who are team, who? What players are playing significant roles on teams? Um, and where they were chosen? Uh, so I'll start with you, D. Wills. Best uh, best grade for a particular team in, from this draft. Uh, it was Seattle. Uh, they got K.J. Wright in the fourth round. They got Richard Sherman in the fifth round. They got Byron Maxwell in the sixth round. They got Malcolm Smith, who was a Super Bowl MVP, in the seventh round, and then James Carpenter. Not you know, mm. not to count some of the other drafts. So when you look at that, and you know, all these guys contributed to their Super Bowl runs. Um, <laughs> that's quite a draft. And, all, and you think about that, that's fourth round and later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that at all. Uh, Justin, you agree, disagree, go in a different direction? D. Will stole my shine again. I was going to Seattle. I was hoping you called me first. I had the same argument. They won two Super Bowls. They've been to two Super Bowls because of it. If you really look at the core of their ball club, you know, it it started in that draft. Therefore, who am I to to disagree? Yeah, I can't can't disagree a whole lot either. Um, The one team that I will say came in a – possibly a close second to best draft grade would be the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Chris Culliver, uh, Alden Smith, even though he's had some issues, you know, he's got that – Alden Smith's got that one mug shot where his hair is all like Eddie Kang from the uh, Five Heartbeats. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the Eddie Kang thing going with his hair. But, you know, besides the Eddie Kang thing that uh, Alden Smith has got going on, he's been a very productive player. You got Kaepernick. Um, you got Kendall Hunter who's a good backup running back um, on that team. Um, again, I think their success 
can be traced back to some pieces that they picked up in this draft. But nobody did a better job than the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, given the results that they got um, and, the, and the success of the players that they got in this, in this draft, um, I have to go with D, D. Wills on the, and the Seahawks as well, um, just throwing the 49ers out there um, as, as a potential second, you know. But, uh, yeah, the Seahawks rocked this draft. And, and they and they paid dividends, you know. That's that's this is the appropriate time to assess that. Um, you've actually seen what has come of it. Um, otherwise, you're just blowing smoke, you know. Just feeling you just you're just trying to get hit. Uh, worst t- team with the worst draft grade. Just uh, I'll start with you. <laughs> right. Blaine Gabbert, who drafted Blaine? <laughs> who drafted Blaine? It was Jacksonville, right? Jacksonville. Yeah. yeah. We might get my numero uno for the worst franchise other than Oakland Raiders and pro sports. But for this draft in particular, when you get a top ten guy and you jump for a quarterback and, and, and he performs the way this guy has performed, I don't even need to look to rounds two through eight. I'm going straight uh, uh, Jacksonville due to their number 10 overall pick. Okay. All right. D. Wills, you agree, disagree? How you feeling about that? I was, he had mine. It's one of the things, like, just like the Seattle one, he just beat me to the punch. That's it. It's Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take a different approach with this, um, and I'm going to go to Cleveland Browns. Um, they got all those picks. They got all those picks for Julio. And ain't did nothing with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you got you, you made this trade, you got all these picks, and you've done nothing with them. Right? Hence why Julio was value. Hence why Julio was the best value. And that's my thing. They could have had him, right? They could have just taken Julio. And they would have had Julio Jones. <laughs> At least they would have had Julio Jones. <laughs> now they have nothing. <laughs> So that's my that's my rationale for picking them is that they traded Julio Jones for what? That's a bad move in my opinion, right? You know what I mean? Like you you got all these picks and you could have had Julio Jones, but you were excited about the picks and then you pissed away the picks. Um, you lose. <laughs> that's an L. That is an L. Take that with you, Cleveland. All right, sorry, PAC, but you got to wear that one with pride. <laughs> All right, so that does it for this edition of the Funky Editorial. Um, we're going to hit you off with the dog of the week. Let me get the sound queued up. We got the Resistance Digital dog of the week coming up in one moment. This is where the real sports guys will nominate an individual, a player, an athlete from a team, from sports, from just the entertainment world or just the world in general. And the dog of the week. So let me get the sound ready so we can do this the right way. Uh, We're going to start this off with you, D. Wills. Give me one second, brother. Here we go. You know how it goes, D. Wills. Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. We need more dogs. My dog of the week is because of where the team is playing. And, you know, like Anita Baker, you know, from Detroit, Michigan, said, I apologize. I got to apologize to Jason Kidd. He coaches. He coaching these young boys and got them competing against Chicago. And I was as hard on him because there were times where I felt like late as a player sometimes or, or in organizations he manipulated behind the scenes. 
but he is clearly doing his thing, and I, I try to find time to uh, to come back and, and apologize when I'm so hard on somebody. So the way I can do that is make Jason Kidd my dog of the week. Great pick. Great pick. We need more dogs. It sounds like we got you, Justin. On me. So, before the call, I was stuck between two people. Floyd Mayweather, who is already cashing in $180 million for this mega fight on Saturday without even pay-per-view numbers being calculated. So anybody that can make $100 million on one night, I got to give it to him. However, he hasn't fought yet. So that'll be for next week. And then I thought, Tim Duncan, how could I not go with him given the performance he put up against the Los Angeles Clippers in game five uh, 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 last night, just to put the Clippers away with a double-double over 20 points and 11 rebounds. And then... My single favorite player in the entire NBA, which I've mentioned several times before, the great citizen of the great city of Atlanta, Al Horford, put up a performance tonight in a must-win game with 20 points, 15 rebounds, and in 34 minutes of play. So my dog of the week is, is, is the Atlanta Hawks, Al Horford. Can you guys hear me? We, it looks like we're ready to roll with this. Well, you got the dog of the week, man. Uh, you know, Al Al did his thing last night, and um, he did it well. So uh, you, I think you hit it or tonight. He did his thing well. So he's one of them instant dog of the week that you hit him with, Justin. You hit instant him with dog instant. of the week. I promise you. I was I was torn between Floyd and Tim Duncan until I saw Al's performance tonight. And, and I hate to be a homer, but Al Horford. Dog of the week for sure. Well, he he needed to because they were he he they, he had to save them because they like they was going down goes Frazier, down I, goes Frazier. He had to, he had to step up uh, for him in a moment to make this thing holler and make it work. So uh, you know I'm 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 uh, I'm feeling that one uh, all the way live and uh, uh, and good. Well, this is what we gonna do, y'all. Um, we gonna do what we gotta do. One of the things we gonna try and do is. Uh, we, we want to give y'all a flavor, you know, because this is our, our, our five-year uh, 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 anniversary. And so one of the things we want to do is, uh, you know, uh, I, I haven't had a chance to uh, to promo my boy DJ Slick. So we're going to take a minute here and uh, uh, let him do his thing, and then we'll come back uh, and hit y'all with the second half of the show. Right about now, you're about to be presented by the sounds of MC Rock and DJ Right now. 
Renegade Radio, we're back in full effect with the second half of this great show we have for you all tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about the fight, fellas. We got to get into the fight. We got to get talking about Mayweather Pacquiao, and we got to break this down for the people out there. So the real sports guys are going to break down some boxing for you, all right? Obviously, I'm going to start with my man D. Wills. He's our resident boxing head, right? He, he, he knows the game. First question I got for you with this Mayweather Pacquiao fight, D. Wills, is what impact will this fight have on box on the boxing landscape? Is it going to help elevate boxing into on a higher plateau in the uh, consciousness of the average sports fan? What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, before I begin, I, I want to let folks know we're going to pepper you tonight, but please tune in tomorrow night. We have a special podcast with our guy uh, Teron Briggs, who will be on, uh, who was in the building for the Klitschko fight last week, so we'll hear about that. He'll He's going to take us deep into this fight. But um, in terms of what this is going to do, I think this fight um, reminds us that um, when you have a great boxing match, it, it galvanizes people in a way that um, very few other events can do. But I think the long-term um, uh, 
impact on boxing is less about this fight and more about some of the work that Al Heyman is doing with that premier boxing and some of the stuff they're doing on the live networks in the matchmaking that's beginning to happen that um, was, uh, 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 was not happening because of the Cold War boxing um, that was happening there with um, uh, Golden Boy and Top Ring. And so what this, what this has done is in some ways um, help the bridge and move away so that we can have more matches like this. And to the extent that, you know, the fight with Canelo and Kirkland, that's happening the following week. You know, what does this have to keep the buzz for that? That's what you're going to know. You know, people like Floyd, they only come once in a lifetime. Their ability to manipulate and create a polarizing um, uh, uh, energy that causes you to, to buy the fight because you want to see them lose or win, that takes a special quality. And um, boxing has been away from the mainstream with big fights for so long that I think it's lost. It. So that, that I think this plus that premier boxing, uh, some of the things that happen on True TV, some of those matchups will dictate what the impact of this fight has had on boxing long term. Okay, okay. Your thoughts, Justin? What do you think about that? How does this fight impact the boxing landscape long term? How does it impact the landscape? I think it is a monumental fight that's happening five years too late. And I think that it's going to be a positive effect on Saturday and Saturday only. And I think that the outcome is going to dictate the landscape of boxing. I think once Floyd whoops him like he stole something, I think there's going to be nobody else for Floyd to compete with. And I think that where's boxing going to go past Floyd? Nobody watches pay-per-view unless Floyd is fighting nowadays. We have no heavyweights who are relevant, right? We have – there's no superstar in the sport other than Floyd and Pacquiao. So once Pacquiao takes this L like he's taken numerous times before – Matter of fact, I watched that Marquez knockout earlier this morning. Like, oh, my God, Pacquiao doesn't stand a chance. So once this fight is over, I think boxing is going to go, is going to go on the decline until we find another Floyd Mayweather. Okay. And I, that, both of those are interesting perspectives, very interesting perspectives. And I, I, my perspective is kind of an amalgamation of both. It's kind of a combination of both. Um, I think – I think this fight has the impact that it's going to be bring eyes to the sport on Saturday. Um, I think the unification of the uh, or the collaboration to promotional entities, um, I think, is beneficial to the sport in the short term. Um, but as Justin has pointed out, in the long term, I think boxing has got to they got to do something they've never done before. They've got to have a league. They have to. They have to start to operate a, around the same terms as the sports fan does. If they want to really have a place in the consciousness where people are talking about boxing year round instead of once in May and once in September, because that's the boxing calendar right now: big fight in May, big fight in September. Right. In between, there are bouts, but they're not. They're not catching the, the, the imagination, they're not catching the attention of the common sports fan. They have to form some sort of a league. Their titles have to mean something, right? There has to be a process 
that that people go through to become the champion, to become a champion, and not just fight you, where you don't get to pick who you fight, where you're fighting um, in a tournament-style fashion or something like that to really get people to engage with boxing in a way that they engage with other sports right now. That doesn't exist in boxing. And so it makes boxing very difficult to follow for the average fan because you jump in in May, you have a big fight, and really the only reason you're watching is because of the personalities in the fight, not because of the actual competition. I don't, like, I don't care who wins. I just want to see a good fight. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of fans just want to see a fight. Some may have a preference of Mayweather over Pacquiao, but it's not, so, it's not so much about who's going to win a championship. When the NBA Finals are on, I know there's a championship on the line. For the Super Bowl, there's a championship on the line. And it's the only one. You know, there isn't the WBA, the WBCW, the WCW, the, the EFW. You know, they're not 50 belts being held up, you know, where you got 50 guys claiming they're the champ. And so I think boxing has to clean up that organizational aspect of it. There needs to be a governing body, a, a singular governing body that is helping the fan digest what is happening within the sport. And until boxing gets on that same page, it's going to be a very fringe sport. Um, it's going to be a sport that attracts eyes depending upon the personalities within the sport, which every sport is kind of subject to that. But I think boxing even more so, where the actual, the actual sport itself is not necessarily the show. It's like the, the NBA is the NBA. <laughs> the NFL is the NFL you know, and the players and the teams within it change, but people still watch the NBA. People still, as 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 much as baseball gets knocked, people still go to the ballpark to watch their team. You know, it's become more regional. And I think boxing has to figure out how to package itself to the modern sports fan. This way is very profitable for the boxer, but could they find a way that's more profitable for more boxers? This way is profitable for you know, certain individual boxers. So boxing right now is like a third-world country because you have all of this wealth at the top, and then there's this, there's this huge gap between the top boxers and everybody else who's boxing, um, who's in the sport. And if there was more an equitable distribution, you might get yeah. some more top athletes participating. Yeah, and, and I think that's why Al Heyman is key, because the reason why half these people are mad at him is because he changed that model. He moved to a model that put more money in fighters' pockets. Um, he's moving this model to, you know, the fight game is about the fight game is about matchups. The fight game, you know, real boxing people know when a fight's supposed to happen. So the fact this is happening five years after it was supposed to is a lot of what boxing's problem is. When historically, yeah, fights got delayed, but the delay was maybe a year or two, not five, and so. What Al Heyman's done, and the reason why a lot of these folks are mad, is because he's created a scenario where, you know, these folks thank God then Al Heyman. <laughs> so what he's done is he's creating a business model that allows for the fights to start happening. What's happening is it's kind of like in our political party. When you introduce a third political party, a real one, the game changes, right? You, enter, you, 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 you uh, introduce another viable third option. Now the, the the nature of the politics changes, right? 
And that's what he's done. I think back to what you're saying, Gay Taylor. That's why you see, what, you know, people are doubting whether or not he can make this premier boxing thing happen. But what he's created is because he controls so many of these fighters, particularly people in the pipeline, is now they can really make fights happen. Where that Cold War between Showtime, HBO, Top Rank, Golden Boy, fights that we knew needed to happen weren't happening. And boxing is about those kind of matches. So you're right. Their ability to come out and create that. And the other thing is you've got to have personalities. And uh, a one fighter I'll watch because it's still the heavyweight. There's nothing like a heavyweight fight. The person I would watch, depending on how he grows, is Deontay Wilder. Because when you have a great heavyweight, and he's one of the few heavyweights that we've had who are American who actually came up through the ranks, who came through Olympic boxing, who came through that kind of amateurism that created great American boxing heavyweights. It'd be interesting to see where he's going. Even when you watch Jennings, who fought Klitschko last week. I mean, Jennings, who's only been fighting for six years, gave Klitschko all he could handle. And even when I look at the scorecard, I'm like, they kind of shifted him on that. But his, his ability to neutralize Klitschko. So there's some American heavyweights coming up that'll make it that'll make it itchy. But boxing is about matches. The reason why this thing works is because you've got the two baddest in the ring, even though it's five years later. What makes boxing is matches. Hagler Hearns, right? Sugar Ray, you know, Hagler Hearns. You've got to make Duran. You've got to put them in the ring. And the fighters have to want to get in the ring. And so you've got some young cats who can come up. A guy like Canelo, he's not walking away from any fights. You know, he, he gets in the ring with whoever's in front of him. And so you're right. It's got, you've got to be able to make these matches. They've got to be real, and they've got to be timely. Um, and I think, yeah. the, and I think that's the biggest thing. Is that you know LeBron doesn't get to LeBron doesn't get to say I'm gonna we're gonna go against the Bulls in, in two years you know we're gonna wait we're not gonna play them this week he doesn't get to do that he's gotta show up and play whoever is on the docket that night he's gotta he's gotta go up against them he doesn't get to delay it till the other team is three years older and he's three years older now he wants to play him now you gotta play tonight. You know, and that's the, that's, the, that's the one thing that irks me about is, about boxing is that I would have loved to have seen this fight when both of these guys were actually at their peak. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah, and, James and, Tony, and, that's right. James Tony and Roy Jones fought in their prime, right? Right. <laughs> James Tony and Roy Jones fought in their prime. Trinidad, um, and uh, I'm like losing my mind. You know, those fights, they, they were fighting those fights in their prime. You're right. You know, you know Roy and, those Roy fights and get remembered. Yes. You know, and, and so how many moments like that have been lost because, you know, there isn't a structure to make those things happen. There isn't a mechanism to make those fights happen, you know. So I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to jump to the last question in the boxing conversation. Um, basically, who you got? Who you got in the fight? Uh, Justin, start us off. Who you got in this fight? I told you who I got. <laughs> I, based on this nonsense, I'm hearing that Vegas has Pacquiao as a favorite. And based on the day-to-day conversations that I have with casual boxing fans that are backing Pacquiao, I think Floyd may knock this guy out. I really do. <laughs> I, I think this may be a bigger disappointment than Mike Tyson and Michael Spinks and anybody else might knocked out in 30 seconds. Like, Floyd is, 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 is much different than I've seen him leading up to fights. Usually, I watch All Access, and he's excessive. He's eating 
Chick-fil-A and going to McDonald's and he's cruising down the Vegas Strip late night showboating, he's all business this time. He knows what's on the line. His legacy is on the line. Floyd is going to pummel Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao is going to retire after this fight. No rematch. No, no, nothing will happen in Manny Pacquiao's career positive after this fight. This will be his, 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 his last loss, okay? Floyd's never been beat before, and I can't see it happening on Saturday night, and I can't wait to tune in. Okay. All right, so you got Floyd, obviously. D. Wills, who you got? I'm from Michigan. This is how we roll. You know, it's all Floyd. The mistake people make about Floyd is they, 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 they listen too much to the noise. Turn the TV down. Turn the TV down and just watch what he's doing. Never out of shape. Always ready. Floyd is the most sophisticated fighter I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, he's got the best defense. He's got the quickest hand. You can't hit the man. Now, D. Will, to your point, I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan myself. I grew up 30 minutes from Grand Rapids, so that that has a little something to do with it. However, his undefeated record also has the majority to do with it. Yes. He is the Houdini of boxing. He created a mirage for all of us to get this money, and he's going to walk out. He is the conductor. He's the director. Uh, People are are living wrong. Floyd – if, if the kind of people who could have caught Floyd were some of these, you know, uh, some of these cats maybe, you know, 10 fights ago. But this fight, he's been watching the whole time. He's going to see everything coming. You know, it, 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 it was, it, it might have, it, it was the, the two previous fights he had. That's where you could have caught him slipping. This one, he focused. I'm with both of you guys. I'm echoing everything you guys are saying. I'm feeling everything you guys are saying in your analysis of the whole situation. I'm going with Floyd. I don't think he can lose. I think, and here's, here's my thing with Floyd. Here's the thing that I've always felt with Floyd. Floyd don't fight you unless he thinks he's going to beat you. And that's why this fight didn't happen however many years ago because I think Floyd was, was like, ah, maybe if Floyd don't think he got you, if he don't think he's going to beat you, he, he's Sun Tzu in that way. He's Sun Tzu in that way. He he doesn't he doesn't step up if he doesn't think he has the advantage. And he knows game changer, don't you dare, don't you dare, game changer, don't you dare disrespect Floyd like that. The money wasn't right. It was man, genius of him money, to wait man. till now. He he would have made a hundred million five years ago. Now he's gonna make two. He the money wasn't right. Pacquiao was on PEDs. Uh, if Floyd Pacquiao, too, he'd be getting the same amount. He could have got $100 million then plus 180 now. He'd double down if this was Floyd Pacquiao, too. We can agree <laughs> to disagree. Floyd is not scared of any boxer on the planet, and I think that's I proven in his scared. undefeated record. I didn't say he was scared. He's tactical. He's tactical. <laughs> He's 38 and 0 for a reason. <laughs> There's a difference. And nobody said anything about fear. I didn't use the F word. That brother's tactical. He's tactical. He's a strategist. Ooh, he's strategery. That's what you're saying. He's not fighting. He's not fighting. He's smart. He's not fighting. He is strategically the best fighter on the planet. 
Absolutely. He's going to prove it Saturday night. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I won't argue with you on that one. But now we're going to transition because it's time. It's time. I've been waiting on this. I've been waiting on this. It's time for the Justin Page extravaganza. Justin I'm about Page to go to the corner right to, now. I'm about to go to the corner yeah, like yeah, uh, I'm about uh, to pass like, the like, ball. We'll go to the corner. I'm about to go to the corner like Kevin like Kevin Love and like Kevin Love before he got hurt. I'm going to the corner. Right. <laughs> he could get the whole wing. He could get a whole side of the court. AI style. That's your boy. We're gonna give you AI style. We're gonna run you off the shallow cut across the top, two screens, and let you work the wing. All right. So Justin. A season has gone by. We haven't had a chance to talk to you in a while. I just want to get your thoughts and some observations that you have from the 2015 NBA season. So what you got for me, brother? Oh, my man, I got a lot for you. I might need specific questions because you said we're doing a two-hour show. I may turn it into three. (laughs) (laughs) I've been so pumped about these playoffs, man. To me, this is the most parody that the NBA has seen in the past decade since since, – Really, ooh, since MJ retired, to be honest with you. Like, the mm. league, there could be four legit champions this year. There could be four. The Bulls, the Cavs, the Golden State Warriors, and the Spurs. Mm. And all season long, I thought Memphis was going to win the West. So, arguably, there could be five. So, I'm thrilled to see the parity in the league. I'm still I'm thrilled with what David Sterling left Adam Silver. The league has made more money this year than they've made in in, in several years past, and these playoffs have been exciting. You know, I thought the Hawks would would win in five games. They they they're you know borderline going on game seven. I, I I'm intrigued with the Lakers and the I mean I'm sorry the uh, Clippers and the, and the Spurs matchup. That that's been riveting. Doc Rivers and and then Chris Paul and, and the L.A. Crybabies. Oh, we're gonna call them L.A.C. for the L.A. Crybabies. They, they gave that game up last night in game. Uh, what was that game? Game two. game five. Because uh, they they were too busy whining to the refs. When old school Tim Duncan just did what he does, didn't complain, fought through the the bad calls and and, and fought his way to victory. So the Spurs uh, uh, Clippers matchup is intriguing. The Hawks uh, uh, Nets is intriguing, and, and and you guys mentioned it earlier. The Chicago Bulls and the Milwaukee Bucks. Did you guys really think Bucks would get two wins, potentially three? I did not. I'm a, I've become a Bucks fan this year. I like this team. I like the franchise. I like the new ownership group and where the team is going. And I did not think they were. I, I was just glad they got in. I felt like getting in was going to be a great experience for them to play their four games, get swept, and be back here in Wisconsin. <laughs> but no, I, I thought the exact same. But what Jason Kidd said that was brilliant in the post game is he doesn't have to worry about playing guys X amount of minutes. He plays whoever right. he wants, when he wants, because his team is so young and their expectations are so low. Right. So they're playing free basketball. Tibbs is coaching for his job. We all know he's out if he doesn't win the chip this year which I don't think he's going to do. He knows the Bulls fans want to see D. Rose, but D. Rose is not the D. Rose of 2012 when he won the MVP, right? Jimmy Butler is the best player on the team, and and Tibbs has so has uphill battles 
right? So the Bulls aren't who you think they are anymore because management is forcing the coaching situation to be so stressful and to be so uh, uh, micromanaged, right? Which which caused the the Bucks carefree style of play to win these last two games. Now, granted, Bulls are going to take care of the Bucks just like the Hawks are going to take care of the Nets, but. There's so much intrigue in that series, and and these Bucks, you know, they're they're playing some good basketball. So those three yeah. series are is what's keeping me going right now. I knew Golden State was going to sweep. Congratulations for them. Uh, I think it was good experience for Anthony Davis to finally understand what the playoff life is about. I think he played well. I didn't think he played exceptional, right? Like, right. he played good like he played all season long. But in the playoffs, we all know, you don't play good to win. You have to play great. Yeah. He needed and, to give me – I think it was good for AD needed to give me a couple of 40 and 20. You know, he had to give me a couple of 40 and 20 nights, you know. So yeah. – uh, but I think it's a learning experience for him. Uh, I knew that San Antonio – I predicted San Antonio in seven. I think uh, it may end up being San Antonio in six. Memphis taking care of business right now, like I expected, and and I knew Dallas ever since they traded for for Rondo uh, was going to be a disaster, and that ended up just like I predicted. So West Coast, I was pretty pretty on point. Uh, I had Cavs sweeping, which they did. Uh, I had Bulls sweeping, which they did not. I had Hawks uh, winning in five, which they did not, and then I had Washington over Toronto, but not in four games. Then like, tell me about that. Tell me about Toronto. What's up? Where do they go from here? This is where they go. They hire the best training staff possible, and they get Kyle Lowry's weight under control. Okay? They, I hate to say this because I hate calling for individual jobs, but Dwayne Casey's not the guy. Okay? Dwayne Casey lets lets the the backcourt of Toronto do whatever they want to do. DeMar DeRozan shoots more bad shots than Josh Smith shot in his whole seven years in Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of bad shots, brother. (laughs) A lot of bad shots. That's a a heck of an accusation right there. (laughs) Again, you got to embellish a little bit just to get your point across, but DeMar DeRozan needs to become a more efficient scorer. And Valanchunas is not the answer down low. Uh, 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 mm. The Twin the, the Towers in Washington between Nene and Gortat ate his dinner every single night. So that was a bad matchup for Toronto. I was nervous going into the playoffs knowing that we could – the Hawks, I said we, but I want the viewers to know I'm non-biased. I wanted the Hawks <laughs> to play against uh, uh, Washington because Toronto beat us 3-1 to one in the regular series. But watching those games and knowing what I uh, what I've seen Brooke Lopez do to our undersized front court, Washington has the bigs to take care of business against the Hawks in round two, and they've got a more athletic and faster point guard than Jeff Teague, which is rare. Jeff Teague urged his way into a, being a top ten point guard this year. However, John he, he's one of the quickest point guards in the league, but John Wall is the fastest point guard in the league. So they've got the two matchups slash recipes for Atlanta Hawks disaster, which is point guard play 
and Biggs. So I'm nervous about Atlanta Hawks in the second round against, against Washington. And, and while all year long I've said Hawks will lose to the Cavs in the conference finals, I hate to do this because it's public record. Anybody can go on the Internet and download this. Please do, guys. Uh, uh, all the fans out there, go to iTunes. i got to pick Wizards against the Cavs in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that. Uh, <laughs> Wizards against the Cavs. Eastern Wizards against Conference the Cavs. Finals. Wow. wow. The Kevin Love injury is horrific. I feel horrible for that guy. Absolutely horrible. Just got a, got a text from a reliable source. He's out four to six months. Uh, uh, yeah, big. yeah. They just went across on the ticket. They just went across on the ticket. So with with that, uh, with Kevin Love being out, right? Um, yep. Was it intentional or not? <laughs> now, was the injury intentional or was yeah? The dirty? Was Owen Expove intentional? Was it intentional? I think the dirty play was absolutely intentional. He didn't want to let him get the ball. We've all done it. We've all done it. But did he anticipate dislocating the guy's shoulder? Absolutely not. Kelly Olnick's never been a dirty player. We've got no no evidence to support that. He's not Chris Paul hitting guys in in the scrotum sack. (laughs) He's not uh, J.R. Smith cold cocking guys in in the face, Uh, uh, you know, twice in three years in the playoffs. You know, he's not Ron, Ron Artest, better known as Meta World Peace. He's a good guy, you know? Boston was, was one of the top three teams in the league to, to land Kevin Love next year. You think Danny Ainge wanted Kelly Olnick to, to dislocate his shoulder? <laughs> See, Kelly Olnick Kevin Love's crazy. top three teams in free agency <laughs> are the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Cavs, and everybody knows it. Celtics are not out of that list unless they get rid of Kelly Olnick uh, this offseason, which we know they're not going to do. He was a first-round draft pick, uh, not last year, but the year previous. So the play was dirty. The play was intentional. But it was intentional to stop him from getting the basketball. It wasn't intentional to dislocate the man's shoulder. Okay, okay. So I got a couple questions for you. Rondo. Rondo. Where we at with Rondo? I know he was a guy that you were kind of critical of, and then you were like, okay, I can, I see his game. I see what he's doing. Now where you at on Rondo? Rondo is who I thought he's always been. If you recall, <laughs> if you recall, I think my first show with you guys was when I was living in Northern California three, four years ago. I believe Game Terry, you and I got into a very heated debate. We can pull up the tape if you like, where you swore he was a top five point guard. That's one of many, right? (laughs) (laughs) You swore he was a top five point guard, and I said he had the benefit of playing with three Hall of Famers and and a Hall of Fame point guard coach who allowed him the freedom to be a stat whore, right? And him being that stat whore, yes, it led to one championship, but I, 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 I put that championship more on... Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett than I do Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo has become now exactly what I've known he's always been. And I think that it will take the perfect scenario for him to be successful. And that scenario is going to be under the leadership and guidance of arguably the second greatest two-guard that we've ever seen under Kobe Bryant. 
And I think he's going to be a Laker next year. And I think that backcourt is going to be formidable. I don't think it's a championship backcourt, but I think it's going to be formidable. I think Ronald's going to share the ball. I think he's going to get his attitude together because Kobe's not putting up with any BS. And they're, and they're close friends, and I think he respects Kobe. And I think that he's going to get it together. Will he average a double-double like he did in his glory days? I don't see that. But I do see him being top five in the league in assists. And I do see his efficiency getting better. Okay. The question with those two is, is Kobe going to let him have the ball? Because Rondo is useless if he doesn't have the ball because nobody's going to guard outside of 15 feet without the ball. So I think that's that's the married that's that's going to be the uh, the the coach's task with those two is figuring out how to convince Kobe. It may it may not be much of a convince because Kobe does have a lot of respect for Rondo's skill set, um, but getting Kobe to let Rondo run the team and Kobe just does his thing and snipes. You know, if they can get that, that 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 could work out. That could work out. I just wanted to check in with you on your boy Rondo because I know I know I know you have a certain perspective on Rondo. Um, so I just wanted to get that out there on the airways, man, and let people hear it, man. Um, let me, let me chime in on that, though. Kobe is going to welcome Rondo because Kobe now realizes, based on his last two years with the torn Achilles and the broken kneecap, that he can't physically carry the load like he's carried before. Kobe's going to turn into the Washington Michael Jordan. All he wants to do is post up and shoot fadeaways. He's not going to the bucket. He's not He's not crossing people over. He's not going to the basket. Later for that, for Kobe. Kobe realized he's on his last leg now. He can't do what he used to do. So he's going to welcome Rondo dominating the basketball. Now, the intriguing part is how is this potential free agent, Kevin Love, going to deal with Rondo and Kobe being so ball-dominant? or Rondo being ball-dominating, Kobe taking all the shots, integrating Julius Randle, who was injured this year, into the offense. That's the bigger question revolving the Lakers and, and this Rondo extravaganza that, that, that it's going to become. But Rondo's going to be good. He had a bad stint in Dallas. Rick Carlisle's not for everybody. I probably couldn't play for the guy either, you know. I can't be a championship point guard letting my coach call every play, you know? Right, right. right. Doc Rivers doesn't call Chris, Chris uh, Paul's plays. Steve Kerr doesn't call Steph Curry's plays. I got a championship if I'm Ronda. Why do you have to call my every play? Why are you micromanaging yeah. my process, you know? So yeah. I think that was more so the rift between Rondo and Carlisle than it is Rondo being, you know, uh, a bad ball player. I just think it was a right. bad situation, and they amicably split after game two. Dallas just recently uh, voted not to give that man his playoff salary, which I, I, I completely condone, and he probably doesn't need the money anyway. <laughs> and and I think he'll bounce back. I do. I think it, it, this is yeah. – this, this this process is going to inspire him to prove people wrong next year. And if nothing else, Rondo's a competitor. And next year mm-hmm. he's going to compete. So keeping in this vein, talk, we're talking about the Lakers and Rondo possibly sitting in with the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers, you know, will be in the draft. They'll be in the lottery um, and actually might get to pick this year. Um, if their pick top falls outside of the top five, um, it goes to Philly. If it's inside the top five, they get to keep it. 
Um, what do you think about this year's draft class, man? And how how do you see these guys coming in and having a potential impact in the league? Love this year's draft class. Absolutely love it. I'm a huge Duke fan. I uh, I picked Duke to win it all, which they did. And I think that if the Lakers get the number one pick, you got to go Okafor. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. You get a front line like Okafor, Kevin Love, and uh, uh, Julius Randle with Rondo and Kobe in the backcourt, I think you, you immediately elevate yourself to a playoff contender. Not a championship contender because the young ones have to grow, but you immediately elevate yourself. I love this draft class. I love Justin, Justice Winslow. I think he's the best player in the draft. I think he's James Harden-esque, given his ability to get to the foul line, his ability to score from the wing, his awkward left-handed jump shot that's so difficult to defend. I like Carl Anthony Towns as a big fella. It, there's so many good players in this draft. This draft reminds me of the LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Paul draft where the Hawks went mm. where the where the Hawks passed on Chris Paul for Marvin Williams, which I won't go into right now. And it reminds me of this two thousand eleven NFL draft that we just discussed in, in great detail. There's so many talented guys in this draft. So many teams are going to be impacted by the lottery pick. And the league is not going to let the Los Angeles Lakers fall out of that top five pick because the league needs the Lakers to be competitive. Yeah, it'll be it'll, I'm putting money down. Knicks, Lakers, in some order, is either one, two. Top two picks are going to either New York or L.A., guaranteed. Guaranteed. There's no way it happens any other way. I agree with you. Either I can't. Lakers I can't. go first or they pick second. Because Minnesota has the biggest probability to get the number one pick. And they, but the team with the biggest possibility rarely actually gets it. So true. So true. So that's I think one, thing, two, three. I think one, two, three is going to be a combination of New York, L.A., Minnesota. I'm just not sure how it's going to pan out because the league is aware that these comp- conspiracy theorists are out there. You know. Yeah, that's how they got to do it. David Stern's first draft, his first lottery, went to New York. They got to have the symmetry of it all, right? Silver's first draft, it's got to go to L.A. <laughs> Let New York pick second. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, David, that, was, that was the beauty of David Stern. I would love to get great, the first pick, man, because I, I, I firmly believe the league is better when the Lakers are good. I do. I, oh, I think it, it is. The, the 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 Clippers have been better than the Lakers for what the last two three years, but yet yeah. their TV ratings are down. They can't get out of the first round of the playoffs. The Spurs are their kryptonite. Lakers have beaten the Spurs in the past, you know. So while the West is so competitive, just think if the Lakers were in the mix, how awesome would right. that be to have like right. ten teams that could win the championship, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's a chance for a star to come in and transition in that franchise, right? They got they got to have the Lakers have to have a star, and so you get. Well, I think Julius Randle's going to be the next star. If, if you remember last year, I told a, you Julius Randle. He's going to be a great player. Be a great player. That injury set him back, but I think he's going to be a ball player. I really, yeah, really he's like. Be a good him. Player. Yeah, he's going to be a good player, and and this year's class is going to be an interesting coup as well. Um, you know, the guys from this year's draft class, they're going to be real interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I, I like where we're going with this. So I want to get your MVP pick. 
you know what? Let me get yours first, because I can elaborate in great detail. But I'm just curious. You and I go back and forth, and oftentimes I feel like we agree to disagree. Yeah. And I'll tell you mine without going into detail. It's Steph Curry. And if you disagree, I'd like to hear why. I was was going to tell you I'm going Steph Curry as well. Okay. My, well, my thought process is this. Best player on the best team and has the best plus minus in the NBA. You can't argue with that. Right. I think he right. has the ability to hit big shots. He he has the best handle in the league. And he, he catapulted his team as close as anybody has ever come to the 72-win Bulls, right? Right. I think you – you could make a case for James Harden. You could make a case for LeBron James. You could make a case for LeBron James every single year. You could argue make a case for Anthony Davis for for catapulting the the, the Pelicans to the uh, to the playoffs this year. I love Russell Westbrook. Carried my fantasy team this year, but every game he got a triple double. OKC lost. He, he he's become the new Rondo from a stat horse perspective. Uh, but Steph did it day in. Day out, he got his teammates involved. He rarely played fourth quarters because he was so efficient in the first three quarters, and I don't think there's a single better point guard in the NBA than him. If I needed to to go into NBA Live and create a prototypical point guard and call him Justin Page and play as myself, I'd just take Steph and put my name on it. (laughs) (laughs) He is my MVP, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And if he doesn't win the MVP for the NBA, I'll be shocked. Not to mention he's more marketable than James Harden. Yeah. And and the way I've looked at the way I've tried to understand the MVP award because it's such a vague award, right? Most valuable. What does that really mean? You know what I mean? And I've tried to I've tried to frame it up because if you go best player in the league, well that's LeBron every year. You know what I'm saying? So that that's who gets it every year. And you don't even have to play the season out, right? <laughs> you want to go best player in the league, it's LeBron, right? We don't have to argue that. We don't have to debate that. It's LeBron every year until he until he starts to break down physically. He's the best player in the league. So I don't like to go best player in the league. I like to go most dominant that season, right? And I think that's what Steph has been. You know what I mean? He has been – his team has won the most games, right? He has been yeah. the uh, the force behind that. He has had a lot of moments and a lot of games where he has gone off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where he has put the other team into the flux. He's given them the business. And, you know, he's just he's fun to watch. He dominates your eye. When you're watching the game, we talk about the eye test over everything. When he's watching you when you're watching Curry out there on the court, you can't take your eyes off of him. Right? You're waiting to see what he's gonna do next. And he's always had that quality, and particularly he had that quality while he was in college at Day at, at Davidson. Because you were waiting to see, okay, this little baby face kid chucking threes, you know what I mean? And he's hitting these threes from all over the court. When he got to the league, you're like he ain't gonna be able to do that in the league. Well, he's doing that now, right? He's doing to the NBA what he did to college basketball when he was at Dayton, where it's like this guy just throws it up from wherever and it goes in. Um, so that's why he's my MVP. He's owned this season. Right, he's put his stamp on this season. This is the Steph Curry season, you know, and it'll go down as the Steph Curry year, um, because this is the year where Steph kind of took over. Who's your rookie of the year? Gotta go, Wiggins, man. 
I got to go Wiggins. And while I would put LeBron in my top five MVP vote this year, I got to put him on my bottom tier GM of the year because he got (laughs) Andrew Wiggins, the rookie of the year, for Kevin Love, who barely played in most of the fourth quarters, who is going to be a non in every single playoff series moving forward, who could potentially run Kevin Love off to the West Coast in Los Angeles, California, his hometown. Now, now see, Justin, you are echoing my sentiments. I want to bring D. Wills back into this because D. Wills is kind of, he's kind of on the other side of this Kevin Love versus Wiggins debate about what the Cavs should have done. And I'm on your side. I think, eh, you could have got no way you trade Wiggins. You, He's going to be the franchise for the next. Stretch, you could have got a stretch four. You could have got a stretch four if you wanted to stretch four, right? You could have got Channing Fry or somebody like that to shoot threes and stand in the corner and give you, you know, eight boards a game, right? And then you would have Wiggins. So, D. Will, are you are you with us still? Or did you fall asleep? Yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with you. You know, you know, I was over the court. You know, I was stretching. You know, just to right. knock down, I'll try to knock out. Right. I'm my like big game Rob. You know, I'm just waiting for that tip out. I'm hit that three and run <laughs> out of the like town. George Lynch.
you know, the coach's inability to manage rotations is something that I'm most critical about. Let me just chime in on that. Reggie Jackson's plus minus is worse than Josh Smith's. Josh Smith's plus minus when he was with Detroit, and his was atrocious. Reggie Jackson is not who you think he is. Reggie Jackson is fool's gold. Reggie Jackson is a volume shooter at the point guard position who benefited in OKC from playing as a fourth option behind Russell Westbrook, behind Kevin Durant, and behind Serge Ibaka. So, but part, that's, see, that's, see, now you get into my point. I was arguing with uh, Game Changer about this. There, there is an element of working people on how to learn how to play the game. You know, one thing that Barkley said today, a lot of these young players don't even know how to play the game. And part of the reason why he's playing that way is because Scott Brooks coaches like his AAU team. So it's about player development, and they're not developing his game. And you can develop his game, but Scott Brooks doesn't coach that way. He coaches like his AAU squad. And so, yeah, that's where he – you know, plus minus is about – also about lack of development, not just the player. And San Antonio does as good a job around developing players and helping people learn how to play the game. And so to me, what that means is that you're not coaching him to play the game. And that's the part that you're missing with Jackson. And that's on Scott Brooks. That's not just on Jackson. That's on Scott Brooks. And so, Hence why Scott and Brooks why is out of there. That's why he yeah, out and, of and, and our oh. guy from Florida, uh, what's his name, uh, Billy Donovan is on his way in. And, and I'm yeah. curious to see what they do with the Thunder next year with everybody healthy and with Billy Donovan. And I think they're going to be a top-four team in the West. And yeah. between them and Golden State, will be competing for a championship. I mean, one of the things you see about Kerr, what I love about Kerr, is watch the way he uses rotations. Watch the way he sets lineups. Watch the way he creates opportunities for different people to get in their mix. You know, with a guy like Love, you almost have to – I mean, one of the things I love what happened to LeBron in Miami. He had that run where he was, he was struggling. He wasn't really doing it. And they actually had a lineup where he had no choice but to be the man. Like right. Coach Bishop looked at him like we ain't put nobody else in. He looked around, and you're the only one left. And sometimes you've got to create that moment for players, and that's a lost art. You saw a lot of that with Chuck Daly. Jackson uses a lot of that. You know, those great coaches understand rotations and how you put people together. And I see a lot of coaches today that don't do that well. They don't do that well. I see Stevens in um, Boston does that really well. Um, I think Byron understands that out in L.A. I think you got some some coaches. I think Kidd understands that. You see those coaches who understand that it's about how you develop lineups, how you develop rotations, and the player development piece. You know, people like Scott Brooks, you know, you ain't going to live long in, in a league like this today. So that's why I blame on a guy like Jackson because – it ain't like he's not coachable. He don't look like the kind of kid that don't play coachable. He he gets up on D, but you got to show people how to play the game. See, game change over there, like in the post. He over in the corner, like, uh oh. What you doing, hey, game change? Have huh? I think y'all have, you know, my. Opinion, <laughs> I think I think with guys in the league at this particular point, there's only so I I think player development is is a myth. I think it's role development and role definition that some coaches are better at than others, and that's where you see rotations come into play. So, like the Spurs, nobody has left the Spurs team and been good, right? It's not like they're developing guys and making them better so then they can go play basketball other places. They fit well in the Spurs system, and the Spurs do a great job of defining roles 
for the guys that they bring in. They find guys who already have a skill, and they develop that skill within the framework of their system, and they teach that guy how to use that skill. Does that guy necessarily know how to play basketball better? Nah, but he knows how to use his skill, his particular skill better. Um, but is he a better overall player? That's debatable. Um, you know, again, I, I'll wait for you to name the first the, the, a spur who's left their system and, and been a good player somewhere else in the last George five Hill. years. George Hill. George Hill. George Hill. Is, yeah, that, I thought George Hill was hey, better. Look at, look at George Hill's numbers this year before you talk. But who was he playing? He had his, his bad numbers on a – good numbers on a bad team. That's what that is. And we all know that happened. Guys, they almost made the playoffs. They, they almost the, made the playoffs. In the East, bro. In the East. They almost hey, made the playoffs. He, he doesn't the put the competition in front of him. He just plays who who, who the exactly. league puts in front of him. still not a good team. George Hill is a quality point team. guard. George Hill is a quality point guard. guard. They got Kawhi Leonard for him. That's value. But your argument doesn't hold because they best players stay. So the thing about it is what they do is they develop players and they and they do grow and learn how to play the game, but they max out. So it's the old 80-20 rule. And those players who are B players learn new skills and max at that level, but they A players never leave. That's why they – But, and, but this is what I say. They never this leave. They, say, they right? A players don't leave. Let, you, ever, let, you don't ever get to see them in the uniform. Let me take Justin's point for a second, D. Wills, and expound on it for a second. Justin brought it up. They traded Kawhi Leonard for George Hill. Indiana would take that trade back if they could in a heartbeat. Why? Absolutely. They thought they were getting more value out of George Hill because of how he looked in San Antonio's system. Because in San Antonio's Absolutely. system, he looked like that that was an even trade. But it's not. But 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 and they but, know but, that but, but when Kawhi Leonard hold up, but when Kawhi Leonard came, he couldn't shoot the raw side of the barn. Now his game is expanded out to three point range. I disagree yeah, with that. I watched Kawhi a lot. Kawhi. I watched Kawhi a lot Kawhi. when he was in college. He could shoot in college. I watched, him in college. I, I watched him in college, and he wasn't nowhere near the shooter he is now. Well, of course not. He grew. And, and, I, and I watched Fisher. But his game grew. His range grew. His consistency grew. It, 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 he, he improved as a ball player. And ball but playing is awesome. Decision making. Is that the Spurs if he's one of those guys? Right? We talk about this. Certain no, guys that's the Spurs. That's clear. You saw the quote from the logo. They would have been responsible for his development. Anthony Davis was going to be a good player no matter what. Who's with it? Hey, Justin. Hold on, hold on. Who's the greatest? I'm sorry, guys. Hey, Justin. I've got to play game changer now. Let me be mediator because y'all two arguing like I usually argue with game changer. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But, Justin, I'm going to ask you this question. Who's the best GM you ever known? Uh, guy from the Spurs. Uh, uh was it uh, R.C. Buford? Oh, you you not talking about your boy from the Lakers? The, the logo? Yeah, yeah. yeah, may he rest in peace. Absolutely, absolutely. So so but, so, Buf- so so recently, so Jerry, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I said so. Jerry West, the one thing he said, I I, I said game changes this link. The thing he said, what makes the Spurs so good is player development. And the, the person he highlighted was Kawhi Leonard. Just what I said. He said. The way he spent a game, even think about Parker's game, expanded. All these things expanded. So it's it's about learn how to play. It's not just only your skill set, but how you make decisions and do that. And players leave Spurs better basketball players with IQ improved. I agree with that, D. Will. But let me say this. Game changer. You just brought up Anthony Davis. I just want a little bit of credit because me and you had it out over him. I know you've given me credit in the past, but I got to do it every time we talk. Anthony Davis 
It's my claim to fame on this show. <laughs> I, I told like you I he was going to be next guy, right? He, I told right. you that before you he right. even had his first tip-off in the NBA. You were right. You were right. Absolutely. I, I, I can't fault you that. You know, you get Anthony Davis, I got James Hart. We, get, we both got ours. <laughs> hey, however, I saw Joe, he's still doing his thing. He is. He's still an effective player, man. He still is an effective player. If he worked 23 mil, and no, but he's still an effective player. <laughs> I, I saw I saw an article the other day. They called him Ski Mask Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I can't fault him for it. Real sports guy. Bob Atlanta, sports he robbed Atlanta for, for a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. That's going to do it for this edition of Real Sports Guys. Go Sports Guys.com. All right, the Renegade Radio. Till next week, uh, we'll see you then. Justin Page, thanks for stopping through. D. Wills, great show. We're going to continue this player development conversation on the next one. So check out the next podcast. D. Wills, get the sports chart. We come, I'm coming at you this time. I'm bringing my analytics with me next time. So be ready. Till then, peace. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.